Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Ustin Zerubin, who is the co-founder and CEO of Batch. How are you, Ustin? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So super excited to learn about what you're building. Um, maybe you could give us a quick overview um, to, to Batch and what it does and how it helps developers. And the one uh, kind of uh, caveat I want to give you ahead of time is that our audience skews a lot towards front-end engineers. So, um, you know, I, I checked out Batch and it seems super cool, but maybe when you're explaining it, try to kind of take the the view, uh, the 10,000 foot overview for folks who maybe don't have as much experience with backend systems and distributed systems. Of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> so the idea of Batch is basically a data observability platform for messaging systems. So that could include like data streams like Kafka or just your genetic cues like RabbitMQ or Sidekick, uh, any of those kind of like Nats, I don't know, IoT kind of technologies. And what Batch does is it takes popular concepts of event sourcing, so something like data replays, and implements them in a more generic way so other companies could utilize it and integrate with it easily. And what replays are is actually a perfect parallel to LogRocket, kind of like LogRocket that records sessions and you can see how a person went on a web page and how they interacted with it and kind of the data that happened. What Batch does is it hooks into your data stream and is able to create an audit log of all the data that passes through, but also manage a schema of that data for you automatically and like keep promoting to a new version so that whenever your service or database or some kind of backend store needs to be resynced or reinstated to like a different version, maybe six months in the past, you could just replay that data back and you'll be crystal clear. Got it. So let's unpack that a bit. And maybe sure. first it's worth um, kind of talking about event sourcing. For, for, for anyone out there, if you haven't read it, there's a really great article by Martin Fowler I, I read a number of years ago. I think it's kind of like the the, the decisive article on the topic. So great read, but um, you know, in case people haven't read the article, um, what is event sourcing? Kind of tell me about that architecture and how it works. Yeah. Event sourcing is basically having your events being the source of truth. And what that means is you don't making you're not making decisions on based on like states of the database, you're making decisions of the event store itself and all the events that have propagated throughout your system. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of different other patterns like CQRS that separates regions and writes that are familiar with that. And the funny thing is you mentioned Martin Fowler, um, we actually are a YC company and, and during our YC application, we said, here's what event sourcing is. And here we linked an article to Martin Fowler's um, post. So. Basically, how we always looked at it is that event sourcing is allowing your system to be completely asynchronous, and it is a paradigm that is just you have consumers and you have publishers, and that's how all of your services communicate. There's no database in between, and that's actually how Batch is set up internally. And so this architecture, it's uh, not dissimilar, I guess, to how Redux works. Yes. If you um, so, you know, that's very familiar concept to folks who have kind of built modern front ends where you have, um, you have your state and then your state changes by, you have actions that are kind of like events Then you have reducers that take the action and modify state. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because I actually, even though most of my time is now in the back end, I've spent 
probably like five years of my career in React land, uh, when React was like, I think version 11 point something. So very, very early on. And I remember when Redux came out, um, I was having a conversation with my front end engineer recently and I was like, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of, I wish there was a way that we could implement event sourcing into Redux as some kind of a middleware. So that way you can funnel all your events and replay them like through the backend as well. Uh, and that's actually been a topic of conversation for us for, for a while. We haven't found a way to do it cleanly, but we're, we're trying. You might be able to use LogRocket and we don't exactly offer that functionality, but the, you know, uh, this is a blast from the past, but like when we first started LogRocket, the first functionality we built was Redux logging and everything else uh, you know, came, came later. So that idea of like capturing every action so that when you have a problem, you can figure out what went wrong. That, that was what got us started. But um, t so, okay, jumping back to, to batch. So, you know, this event sourcing architecture um, on the back end, it sounds like the tools companies typically use are like Kafka or Rabbit or um, some of those tools. And batch record, is it accurate to say batch records all the events that are going through your event sourcing system? And then when there's a problem, it allows you to uh, replay them and re recreate the state of your system or, or uh, correct me or explain if I'm wrong there. That's actually very accurate. And one of the kind of benefits of batch is most replay systems out there, they're very little. I think it, Amazon has one and maybe some other big cloud providers uh, for their PubSub networks. Basically, they're all time-based, so which means you have to select a like you know a date of some kind, and you replay from that date to the to the date that you want to replay, like to and from dates, basically. And with batch, you can actually search for very particular events or the data that within events. So you basically can search like key values of those events, and being able to only replay a very small subset of those events versus just saying, hey, I need you know, from last month's data, you don't want to replay like a billion events into your system and basically DDoS yourself in a way um, if you don't do it carefully. Um, so that's very accurate. And I think like the other thing is, is that like events evolve and they change schemas. And that's a really kind of important thing that we thought about because if you are only replaying events with like the old schema, you can essentially break the system, right? So what we do is we normalize all the schemas for you into like the most kind of like updated schema that could include everything. And that's what we actually send back to you. So do you have to define like some kind of migration script that can take a old event and transform it into a new event? Or is that done partially automated by your system? It's actually completely automated by our system. Uh, we did that because, well, Migrating schemas is actually a huge pain point for a lot of companies. So if I have all my data in something like, I don't know, Snowflake, and then I want to go back and query it as some engineer or data scientist, what ends up happening is chances are the schemas has changed. And now you need to either migrate that data or figure out how to query it some other way. So we, we learned that that was a pain point for a lot of companies. So we just tried to solve for it by automating it completely. And... I know there's like a bunch of different event formats um, folks use, like, you know, back to our Redux example, it's it's JSON or like basically JavaScript objects are your events. On backend systems, like what are some of the 
event formats you see people using nowadays aside from from JSON? And you know, is there any limit to what batch supports or, or um, you know, how does that work? We definitely see a lot of JSON, so, but there's a huge push now into protobuf. Um, and protobuf is basically an encoded, it's like, how should I, hold on, let me, let me figure out how to explain this better. Protobuf is basically allowing you to manage the schema of a payload for an API or an event bus. So for instance, in JSON, you know, if your schema changes, that's, you know, that can happen and you can do it very easily, but it could break the, the consumers of that API. And protobuf kind of prevents you from, hap- from having that because you can only add all, you can do whatever you want, but in order to do it properly, you should only add and deprecate so that your schema continues to evolve because there is an index there and it's like columns in a database, right? And if you drop one, bad things are gonna happen. And you technically don't wanna drop it, you just wanna add and deprecate certain columns. So you still retain the API contract to like previous versions of, of those uh, consumers. So we see that actually a lot more and we're seeing a lot bigger push into protobuf for, from a lot of companies. Uh, we ourselves are big fans of Protobuf. Uh, I was on the founding team of Community, and that's where I learned a lot about it. We used Elixir and Protobuf. And now we're in we're a Go shop at Batch, so we use Go and Protobuf and gRPC as well. And that has been, honestly, I will say I love it. But if you want to get something out fast, gRPC and Protobuf do kind of slow things down a little bit, especially if you're not familiar with that stack. And Taking, a, I guess, a step back, um, so your system, you know, it's kind of like, in some ways, a backup system, as I understand, like you're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that you rely on in case something goes wrong. So you can reconstruct the state of your database or do debugging. Are there any other use cases besides um, those kind of two areas? I think it's going back to the schemas that we were talking about is it's maintaining and automatically adjusting your schemas as it goes. So the replay is, we say it's a replay, but it's more of a relay. So it becomes somewhat, I don't want to use the term data pipeline because that's not what we do, but it could function as a data like extraction that would then relay that data somewhere else. And but debugability and observability are some of our biggest features, and that's where we get the most comments out of our customer base because they'll have events that will come in that they've deployed a system to production that all of a sudden they're incorrect, and they can see that, so they can roll back the changes and fix it and not have an outage. And speaking a bit about customers, um, customers and uh, curious, like what people do today you know, before they, they buy batch, you know, how do people solve this problem? You mentioned like Amazon and I'm guessing like all the cloud providers have kind of some basic functionality here, but what do you typically see people doing? Building it in-house. So it's always build versus buy argument that we cater to. And that's, I mean, that's what we did at my, all my previous companies is we always built the system in-house. And in fact, we were talking to like a really, really big customer, uh, I don't want to mention any names, but you would know them. And basically they were like, hey, we actually, where were you guys last year? We actually implemented this in-house last year for a security team. And it was verbatim, very, very similar architecture. Um, 
And what we've come to realize is that there is like we're we're SaaS, and actually one of our integrations is our open source tool called Plumber. And so we're trying to add more and more of that batch functionality into Plumber, and we're building in like currently building an Electron app. That so I'm back to writing a lot of front end actually and TypeScript, and that has been kind of like what we're now pitching to customers. So don't build this; just try it out quickly, deploy this, and let's see, like, like please give us feedback. And how does cost like is cost a concern? Like I imagine, you know, t- people typically have huge amounts of, or they can have huge amounts of data flowing through these event sourcing systems. Um, and if you're essentially backing up a copy of every event, I imagine it's a lot of data storage. So, is is cost a concern at all, or if so, how do you address that issue? So we have two ways that we solve for that. We have something called short-term storage, like hot storage and cold storage. And our hot storage is basically data showing in like a very large elastic cache. And we maintain that for you. But if you wanted to do something else with cold storage, you can choose any platform's blob store. And we will automatically encode the data into Parquet for you and we'll maintain that Parquet schema. And Parquet is just a very fancy data like encoding slash compression. So therefore, we're trying to keep your costs low on your infrastructure as well. And do you typically see customers like utilize that cold storage or can you get a lot of value from batch by just maintaining some window of you know 30 days or however many days of events and then just not just throwing away the data past that point given you probably don't need it if you haven't had a problem come up within 30 days it's it's funny you asked that because i i used to think that way too that hot storage was the thing that was very important and what i've realized with most of our customers they actually want it for the archiving and the reason being is because let's say some security thing occurs i don't know just some security event occurs at your company you don't only want to see what happened five minutes ago. You want to see what happened five minutes ago, one hour ago, one day ago. And you want to try to craft a pattern together, right, to investigate like how this could have occurred or why it occurred. And so most people actually want to be able to retain very, very long sets of data and being able to search through that. And that's also a functionality that we enable. So. In fact, um, our latest customer, they actually only wanted it for the archiving feature. <laughs> and if the main use case is archiving, do, do how does like, what is the value of batch versus more traditional logs? Like if you're not going to be replaying events and you don't necessarily need the um, ability to transform, uh, do the migrations from the schemas, um, you know, yeah. How does a system like Batch compare to just a traditional Splunk or Datadog logging? I guess because these aren't logs; these are actually system data, which is the events that have flown between all of your microservices. So it's more raw and more, how should I say, fruitful to be able to know like what actually like exact piece of data that occurred and how it was transformed. Because like logs, you know. It's just a print statement inside of your microservice somewhere or inside of your backend, right? And you could put whatever you want. They're like Some are clear, some are not. 
Uh, and this is more so like very exact piece of data. And if you search for that one ID, you can actually see how that one event has transformed over a course of a year inside of your system. So basically allowing you to see how your system has changed. Got it. So give me an example of like, you know, uh, you know, the classic example for Redux is like a to-do list. Give me an example here of like what would be a piece of data and kind of how how that seeing the changes over time would be valuable. Sure. I think the easiest maybe example is security. So let's say that someone, I don't know, someone bought something and I don't know. I don't know how to frame this example correctly, but let's say like you want to know if this person actually like, let's say like you logged into some, to someone's account and you then logged into like a whole bunch of other accounts in the course of like 10 minutes. Chances are that's kind of suspicious, right? Like why would you need to log into like 10 different things all at the same time? And you want to be able to track like that person's ID or email across multiple systems or across multiple events and craft a little composite view around like how this is going, like what actually happened. So kind of like, you know, kind of like Redux that you'll be able to see how all those states changed and you can roll back like, or move forward. You kind of want to see the same thing to even understand how this person maybe possibly attacked your system, or maybe this was actually a harmless coincidence. Does that make sense? I I hope that answers it. Yeah, definitely. So essentially, like the fact that you have a more structured understanding of the events and the system makes it much more powerful than just like a text-based logging system in terms of debugging or reconstructing how things changed over time. Right. Because like, let's say if you have a database in your billing service, for instance, like going back to the Redux example, the reason we can go back and forward is because you're actually emitting that physical event or removing it, right? You're pushing and popping it. And it's the same thing here. I could deploy a microservice and backfill its data store with only like that one hour of data and just see how it's going to function. How does, if I think about the Redux example, right? Like I have my Redux state and it, it changes over time as, a, as the reducers take in actions and change that state. And if I just had, you know, the last hour worth of actions, I couldn't necessarily create the state because this, there was some original state and then it was transformed from those actions. So is there a concept of like snapshotting of state or how does that work? It's called, I think it's called bookmarking in the event sourcing world. Uh, and okay, yes, we it. are working actually on that feature in particular. Uh, but if that, like if you're truly an event source system, which is our ideal customer, the way you obtain that cache or that foundational state is through the event bus. So by us replaying those events into back into your event bus, technically you should have all the original state. Because the whole point of an event sourcing is that in a way you're stateless, right? You're just a consumer or a publisher. So that would be our ideal customer. But we learned that not everyone's like that. Not everyone wants to build event sourcing architecture. So we do accommodate by trying to implement these like bookmarking features. So that's a good segue. You mentioned that's something on your roadmap. You know, what does the next year look like for the product? Right. As I mentioned earlier, we're going more on this like open source, open core kind of pattern. And the vision of it is, we're trying to recreate batch inside an Electron app 
and inside of Plumber, which is now going to be a thing that you can deploy, but managing of schemas now that that's going to be open source and along the lines of like alerting and archiving. So basically just more and more features tagging on onto event sourcing. And we're just exploring many different avenues right now where there their utilizations in blockchain with this, which is, or should we maybe do like data flow tests and seeing how this event like went through all your systems, like check it got transformed how you wanted to. So we're definitely, excuse me, we're definitely actively exploring a lot of areas right now. Um, and I wish I could share more, but we're just trying to be a little stealthy on our open source at the moment, but our launch is coming in probably around September for that. Awesome. And who do you see as kind of primary competitors? Like we, we, we talked a bit about how you're quite a bit different than traditional logging tools. How about like the distributed tracing tools? Like do those type of products, um, you know, butt elbows at all with what you're building or if not, who, who would you say are kind of potential competitors? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, because we, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we haven't found anyone that's like directly competing. I think we have a lot of features with like similar features of different companies, but that's not our core product. It's more just a side effect of what we're building. Um, but if I would have to pick, it would, I wouldn't say Confluent, but Confluent does do a lot of kind of like this observability on top of event buses. But the thing is, is that they are Kafka based. So we speak all kinds of different protocols. It's like, we, I think we support like over 10 different like messaging tech and we keep adding more and more as we go. We actually added KubeMQ this week and that's like what sets us apart. And curious to learn a bit more about um, kind of the go-to-market side. So you're, are you now in, in beta or you have fully launched and how are you, how are users finding you? We're fully launched. <clears throat> Our go-to-market has been let's cash in every single friendship token we've ever <laughs> had to cash in as as founders. And most of the time, we're trying to look for people that are using tech like Kafka, like Rabbit. And honestly, I think it's it's like a very traditional sell. Is you you know you do your outreach, you figure out like you you figure out who is actually going to use this, you figure out what problems they're having, how this solves for their problems, and um, go with that. But lately our go-to-market has been us working on open source because we see that like we've done basically zero marketing on Plumber, which is our open source tool. And it's like getting close to a thousand like stars, like a, a downloads, a thousand downloads every month. So it basically is like, it's growing and growing and growing. And we want to support that community. So that's probably what our go-to-market strategy is going to be like in the future. And you recently did Y Combinator. I'm curious to to hear a bit about like you know how was your experience there, and um, you know some is it something you'd recommend for other infrastructure developer tools? A hundred percent. So our my YC batch was the summer twenty batch, and it was the first completely remote batch because winter twenty, you know, COVID happened unfortunately, and like places started to close. So it was like I think half and half, and we were the first fully remote. So. I think I recommend YC to everyone, especially their application process, because it really helps you think about the business and what you want to build and your grand vision of the future. And having that all on paper actually makes it more real than having it all in your head. 
um, it's kind of like, you know, good documentation for engineers. You, you got to get that presented. You got to make that accessible so that other people can learn from. And that's how it is with YC. Uh, the batch, like, obviously I have nothing to compare it to because people always ask me, well, how is it like versus an in-person batch? I'm like, well, I don't know. I was never in person. Uh, and, but I thought it was very well done. Uh, I, ash- I actually got to spend more time with our partners at YC than I think I would have in person. So highly recommend it to anyone that is even interested, no matter what stage of the company you're at. Do they still ask on the application what the question, like, uh, I think it was like, what's tell us about a time you successfully hacked a non-computer system? Uh, yes, I think they do. Do you remember your answer? <laughs> Just curious. Um, yes. And it was basically, so like, as I mentioned, uh, I think before the, we started recording, like I'm originally from Russia and uh, my wife is two and I met her here and she had a lot of immigration problems. Just like, you know, she like, I don't know, got stopped randomly at an airport and basically like they were just giving you a really hard time about everything and made, made sure that she basically couldn't even like adjust or extend or change her status. Right. And I was a really broke student at the time I, I was studying physics and I didn't have money to like hire a lawyer, but I was like, this is the love of my life. I got to figure something out. Right. And I ended up reading a whole bunch of immigration law and I wouldn't say figuring out a loophole, but more so figuring out a way that to get her to stay here legally. And I filed all my paperwork. I wrote all my letters. I reached out to all the immigration people that I needed to. And I, I ended up like getting her to like getting them to grant her status to stay and then then I ended up getting my citizenship. Then I could also basically get get her a green card. So basically, I hacked the immigration system. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, like uh, that was like my own personal kind of hack. Well, I mean that, that's amazing, and so glad it worked out. And um, certainly, the immigration, the knowledge of the immigration system will come in handy as as you grow the team, and you know, yeah. hi- hiring folks who don't have the full citizenship always um, requires way too much understanding of immigration. But um, so going back to the beginning, I'm curious, um, you, know, you touched briefly on your background. Um, you said you, you worked at community and um, you know, what inspired you to, to found, uh, to found batch. I realized that in every single company, I am building an event source system in some way, shape or form. I um, mean, in some places, like way more broad than others, um, sorry, way more detailed than others. And I then stumbled, I didn't know it was called actually event sourcing for the longest time until I was at community and someone linked to me like a Martin Fowler article. And I was like, huh, this is what I've been building. And this is the system I believe in. And I always wanted to make a very like generalized solution. And that's actually what inspired me to apply to YC and I actually linked them to both of those Martin Fowler articles inside my application saying like explain what event sourcing even is because I think it's actually hard to explain. Awesome. Well, Ustin, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fantastic to, to learn about you and to learn about Batch. We'll definitely put a link to Batch in the episode description and we'll also put a link to the Martin Fowler article that we've talked 
continue to talk about. So folks out there, will, I think it's definitely a great read if you're interested in learning about event sourcing. Um, and finally, is uh, is batch hiring or folks interested in contributing on an open source basis? Um, are, are either of those routes available? Yeah, I think definitely look us up at batchcorp slash plumber is our GitHub handle and would love to get a lot of help and feedback around our open source tooling. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. Find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.